On patreon.com slash consensus on reality you will find bonus episodes, written content and much more. This recording contains an exclusive follow-up and bonus episode only on Patreon. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another edition of Consensus Unreality, which is a podcast thing. Uh-huh. Uh, what a great advert. Um, we're joined yeah. here today by M. Elizabeth <laughs> Scott and Yasmina Hashemi um, to talk about their ongoing project, Gohar Grail. Um, yeah, thanks so, for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thanks you guys <laughs> for having us. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, do you want to just maybe describe a little bit of what the uh, what is this project that you guys are working on, and how you sort of came to, you know, discover this connection you're making here? Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess um, we around Halloween of. 2020 I'm like what is time anymore <laughs> um we both kind of started like having these weird dreams um I had this dream about like this kind of um maybe like a mass exile or like um essentially like a cultural cleansing and it was really weird because i wasn't myself in the dream i was someone else and the time period was different but there were all these kind of like references to scotland and there were also um references to like ancient kind of persia and yasmina's family and these sort of um interior and exterior spaces were different like the exterior of this kind of apocalyptic landscape was really um, kind of this Scottish sort of wasteland. And the interior was this space where like Yasmina and the women in her family were kind of working through this, um, this ritual. And I told her about it. And I guess around that time, she was having kind of similar dreams. Um, and we sort of, I don't know, I was like, in October, November, I always get super haunted. Like I start kind of hearing the ghosts really intensely. Mm. Um, and it's always like around the fall that I get this kind of like renewed interest in storytelling. Um, and so I think I was watching some films. Um, it was uh, the trilogy. Um, by um i'm blanking on his name right now but uh the films were called main folk uh my childhood my way home um bill douglas he's a scottish director and they're kind of short they're like an hour long and i was just so struck by the way in which the figures were kind of um represented and and the way the story was being told it really reminded me of like iranian cinema and we kind of just started talking about that and I feel like from there, I don't even remember. What do you think, Yasmina? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we had he, we had uh, we were constantly sharing little bits from you know. I would watch an Iranian film or read a poem and send it to Elizabeth, and kind of discuss what it meant. And she would do the same with you know Scottish poetry or like a ballad that she would send to me, and we would discuss it. And then these synchronicities with the dreams kind of guided us. Um, to start having these conversations. And I think after, um, you know, the, the film that really influenced you, Elizabeth, and I think there was a book um, from Scythia to Camelot that you shared with me. And, yeah, I don't uh, even remember how I found it. It was so random. <laughs> yeah, which is an incredible book. I think it's by um, Scott Littleton. And yeah, Scott Littleton, Scott Littleton and Linda A. Melkor. Yeah. Yes. And I think that's when it kind of, that's, that was for me what took off, um, like the project started from that moment on because the thesis in the book kind of connects um, 
the story of King Arthur and the Knights um, of the Round Table, they connect them to the the, the ancient Iranians, mm. and and you know they go through all these different symbolisms and how they all basically came from um, Iranian mythology, which is really fascinating. So that's kind of what guided us from the beginning. Yeah, it's like a really crazy thesis because I think um, when when they wrote it, I'm forgetting the exact year it came out, but it was these two academics. They were basically like Arthurian researchers. Like, honestly, I have no idea how I found this book because it's not known or famous. Um, they were um, kind of like reading comparative literature um, of the Nart sagas from um, the Scythians um, who are present day. Uh, you know, they were sort of like Eastern Iranian nomads who then wandered over the steppe um, or the grass sea to Europe. Mm. Um, and when, you know, it's kind of interesting because they're only the only relic of these people, the Scythians, um, kind of in a in the, I guess, contemporary current of culture is um, kind of settled in this landscape called Ossetia that, um, you know, the country Ossetia uh, between Georgia and Russia. And they've been subject to like a lot of violence from the sort of aggression between Georgia and Russia, but the, uh, they're an Alonic people um, and they, their language is kind of uh, the only remnant of the specific Eastern Iranian, uh, I guess, like linguistic structure. So it was like, this really interesting thing that they kind of went to Ossetia where there still is this intense pagan tradition um, uh, that's been preserved and pretty much, you know, I'm sure there it's been Christianized, but there are still pagans high up in the mountains there. Um, and so the music that's sung there in the ballads there um, still contains these stories um, and the stories that they compared the Arthurian legends too, were the Nart sagas. Um, and it's really interesting because there are so many images that we see um, in this Arthurian kind of Christianized uh, Celtic context, like the sword in the stone or the grail um, or this sort of uh, the cauldron. Um, and these are all images that appear first um, in very similar array and similar narrative in the Nart sagas. Um, and essentially kind of the story is that the Scythians were brought to um, essentially to the Scotland and like the Gallic world when the Romans were trying to conquer, um, you know, when Hadrian's wall was built. So they brought in all these kind of like sellsword guys um, and I think a lot of them ended up staying, some of them kind of continued to move on, but they left, you know, the Scythians had this insane storytelling culture that just made this huge cultural impact on the British Isles, um, Scottish and Irish Isles as well. Um, so there's this kind of relic of that as well. But then I think also, you know, because neither of us are musicians, but we both listen to a lot of music, um, we kind of came across some Ossetian music at one point. And to me, it really felt like, okay, A, I've never had like an experience listening to music like this. It was like, it, it just felt so familiar that it made me want to cry. It was like, I've heard this before, like just so deep kind of uh, resonance. But also it really feels like the midpoint between maybe like Iranian music of some types and uh, kind of Gaelic music or Scottish and Irish music um, and all of these things. It was, it's like the more that we would find, um, the more that we would kind of be led to, to all these really small and then larger kind of synchronicities. But um, with this project, we're kind of like tracing these narratives and also not just not just to uncover this kind of like influence of the Scythians, which is very old, but we're kind of like interested in different cultural exchanges as well. Some more contemporary, um, kind of any place where there's been an interplay to sort of explore, you know, why is it that these places um, have such a similar kind of 
uh, essence to their storytelling cultures, um, you know, folklore, music, poetry, um, film. Yeah. Sorry, that, I feel like that was a rant. No, no, <laughs> no that's, not that's at great. All. It's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. It's such an exciting project. And I feel like um, excavations of, of cultural exchange are such a, large part of the story of you know the occult and then sort of like mm -hmm. western esoteric tradition and even the part of your project um involving the templars you know there's that uh old story mm -hmm. in passing about the influence of sufism on the templars you know and that comprises so much and is spun in so many ways and in, in conspiracy culture and stuff so it's yeah i mean yasmina has done a lot of reading about kind of like sufism and connections with like St. George, yeah. I think, yeah. Which is really fascinating too. Um, and like you said, it's been a part of like conspiracy, you know, theories and there's a lot of reading, you know, materials on it, but I mean, um, even just the visual references and just comparing them to like St. George and then the representation in the Shahnameh and other Sufi texts um, of the same figure, it's been interesting. Oh. And it's crazy, too, because, like, I think, um, you know, these these writers of that book from Sadia to Camelot, like, this isn't the only book that explores this idea, but it is kind of the most famous. Like, I think, like, reading the introduction, it's like you get this vibe that, like, they were like, oh, my God, this research is going to change Arthurian studies and, like, our understanding of the West and of England. Um and of our sort of like mythopoeic inheritance, like they really felt like this was going to be this huge excavation, um, but it really didn't go anywhere. People read it, but there's a conservatism, um, you know, I mean, not only like in this kind of branch of academia, but I think also like in the Western mind of sort of like, there's a desire, like King Arthur is kind of seen as this Ur story or this sort of like, the greatest thing that maybe like um, the British Isles is sort of like given this, this story that has been made into hundreds of adaptations and is iconic and it's so, you know, British. Um, but so there was a lot of kind of pushback against any sort of, of acknowledgement of this. So they wrote this and, you know, when you read different papers by, by academics who are kind of exploring, um, you know, like Parsifal um, or these kinds of other connections between um, Iran or then Persia and, um, and the UK. Um, you'll see people make references to this and um, to sort of make reference to their arguments and to um, there's almost like this kind of like starstruck vibe that people like these, these weird academics will, will mention it briefly in this kind of like interesting way. But by and large, I think this kind of maybe ruined their careers mm. because people were like offended by it. Um, mm. And to me, it's like, I don't think that every argument they make is foolproof or perfect or are true but they make a lot of arguments that have a truth in it that's undeniable like you see it and you're just like ah like that's it you know and you feel it too like I think that's the other thing it's like you know honestly I think with this project it's a creative one rather than like a research project per se like we're doing research but it's not um as of now like we're not really trying to make these like kind of impenetrable arguments we're we're trying to um connect to this resonance of myth and understanding that we have and kind of go into that in a mythic way um so we're not trying to sort of like prove this hypothesis but i think it's to be felt and we feel it and mm -hmm. sort of as others have kind of like come to it they're like oh yeah this is yeah you know you can feel the influence like uh, the relationship between Ossetian music and Irish music and et cetera, et cetera. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating. Um, I thought it was, yeah, it's interesting that you can draw the 
the connection there all the way back to Roman times. Cause I guess the first thing that came to mind for me was like, yeah, like the crusade era and like uh, Templars and that sort of thing. So it's, it's really interesting that the, this connection is like, you know, ancient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Really- and just that you can, you can still feel like ancient. I mean, you know, humanity is young and old at the same time. It's like all these mm-hmm. stories, like, it happened in the blink of an eye and um i think with the way that you know like because i think i also come from this like jungian perspective of maybe this like collective unconscious sort of feeling like i do think on the one hand sort of similar stories and symbols can pop up maybe simultaneously in different places um but i also think that when a story is really valuable when a story is really true symbolically true um, you know, like that sort of mythic sense of, um, this is really dorky, but J.R.R. Tolkien had this word, um, called eucatastrophe that he invented. I love this word. And it was sort of like about that moment in a myth when like, you're just sort of on the verge of like total collapse. And then like at the last moment, like, uh, goodness prevails and sort of like things are saved, um, and the emotional capacity that that can release um, when you get to that point in the story. It's like, I feel like this story of the Narts and Batraz kind of was so resonant to the Celts because it has that quality, like it's like a true myth. And so it, it's buried under all this overlay, but its origins, um, its origins remain. Yeah, and I think it's important that we approach this, we're approaching this as a creative project, but also we're both going through, especially last year and this year, um, we're, you know, doing ancestral work. And I mean, Elizabeth didn't even know, but my father's family is from that exact region in Georgia. And I mean, there's not that many records in Iran, so you can't really, um, you know, um, identify how far back they went and where, you know, what tribes they were in, but that's, as far as like two generations ago, that's kind of the area that they were from. And then they moved to Tehran. So I do have that actual connection to the geographical, you know, the region that we're kind of focused on, which was really interesting. And um, yeah, the dreams have been kind of guiding us. And yeah, I'm excited by these loose threads that we're following. Um, We're learning a lot as we do it, but but also creating, you know, our own interpretations which has been the most fun. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful that it's such a personal project as well. And um, I guess maybe we could talk about some of the ways that it's sort of manifesting through creative work, Um, one of which was the mix of music you had made on, um, was it Montez Radio, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, and I think that's just a a really beautiful way to channel this. the separation in between like the types of music starts to dissolve very quickly and form into a, like a singular sort of poetic, um, uh, sound, you know, and, uh, what are some of the other ways that you've kind of been, um, taking these realizations and, and, um, you know, manifesting them into creative work? Yeah, I think we're, um, I mean, we're kind of talking about sort of where we want to take it now. Um, Cause we definitely want to kind of keep doing these mixes sort of as a series um, because it's sort of like with music, I think music in this way that's different than other mediums, like has this capacity to, to sort of like open up the mythic dimension um, or not even mythic because music is almost like pre-story even if it has lyrics like there's something more essential that is contained within it Mm. um and so in in that sort of feeling of like this is a truth to be felt we were kind of approaching it from that direction um but i think we're also going to start working on a kind of like poetic um work together um that's sort of about like this way in which stories travel, like we've kind of talked about it. Um, and it's funny cause um, 
you know, I've been on your show before. So I've said before, you know, like the dead talk to me, the spirits talk to me. <laughs> I feel like the same is true of Yasmina. Recently, yeah. they, told me that, they told me that we're haunted dolls. <laughs> me and Yasmina are haunted dolls. And um, so they were like, you need to like make a book with like kind of like almost like this talismanic sort of place where we can kind of put these stories that are like haunting us in it a little bit and kind of like encase them in, in poems and and images um so we're gonna kind of like we're working on like a book around that theme um but I think we're gonna do something um where we work with like a third translator and do this kind of game of telephone of sort of like mm. translating translations and seeing sort of where the story ends up and and where the symbols kind of change. Wow, that yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah. Um and really really beautiful too. And I I love the um the talismanic element. I think that's really interesting. Uh <laughs> I'm just trying to think about when the when these stories and stuff are channeled uh are they like Im, Im, imbued with some sort of like magic uh once they're encapsulated in in something like that? What do you think? Yes, <laughs> certainly they they have to be. Yeah. Right. yeah, I think that is magic for sure. Yeah, I feel like more and more like writing. I'm just really starting to understand, um, you know, the way in which like a poem can be a spell. Like, because mm -hmm. sometimes I don't know. Like as a writer, like something will really be on my mind, and then if I put it into a poem it's no longer torturing me in the same way often mm. um can be like in yeah. a page and I used to think that was just like a function of release but I actually have begun to feel like poems are vessels kind of mm -hmm. um for sure yeah almost like a spirit vessel of some kind but yeah um and the, the connection between language and magic I feel like it's pretty strong too so I guess. Yeah. 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 Especially in Farsi. Well, even, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to spell a word, you know, you're, it's, there's already like a true, relationship. True. <laughs> oh, yeah. That like speak and spell, like that depends. On yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I always think, um, I mean, we've had so many conversations about this, Yasmina, where we're kind of like, just like seeing a connection between, you know, like, so there's this word in Scots primarily, but it appears in the folkloric kind of witchcraft traditions of the British Isles in general. Um, besom, I don't know if you know what it is. It's like a bundle of sticks. It's like a broom. Mm. It's like the what the kind of witch broom sort of mm. is taken from, this mm. idea of the besom, like a twig bundle um, that was used for spirit flight. Um, and this word like is really similar to this Zoroastrian word um barsum is that how it said yasmina yes yeah like um which is a bundle of sticks that was used in a ritual context mm -hmm. um, oh yeah so, so many parallels like yeah yeah um crazy parallels or or you know we'll be kind of reading like i was reading this poet hugh mcdermott um whose real name is like michael grieve but I always heard his name. He's this Scottish poet, um, kind of was writing in, yeah, I guess like the, he started around in like the twenties. Um, so he's, he was, you know, kind of like older school, but, um, he was like extremely radical. And of course, like, you know, had some questionable, questionable, maybe like political leanings, like kind of didn't fit in anywhere. Um, you know, like he was a communist, but like, the communists kicked him out because he was like a Scottish nationalist. And then the Scottish nationalists kicked him out because he was a communist, but he loved um, Stalin, which of course hasn't aged well as a view, but um, you know, I think it was before a lot of the information about what he was doing was kind of happening over there. And he kind of like even wrote about this theory that um, he had that there was this connection between Gallic culture with that of uh, the country of Georgia um which was why he felt he he felt that he had this kind of like feeling about stalin or some kind of commonality or something um obviously that's kind of like a weird thread but it's just to show this kind of like um 
you know, there are these threads that pop up everywhere. Like you kind of look at um, even like the the declaration of Arbroath, like this, this Scottish kind of early um, sort of political declaration, they make this assertion that they're Scythian, um, the word Scoti being the kind of early word for the Scythians mm. um, or Scoloti. So there's mm. all this kind of sense of what's underneath, but yeah, it's like this language, um, language is like this huge thread. Oh, yeah, that's so, that's so interesting. And I guess all these like sort of soft, softer borders uh, between cultures makes sense since it was all sort of before the time of like the nation, more or less, right? For sure. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I mean, especially with Scotland, it was like more of a kind of collection of maybe like principalities at that time. Mm, um, yeah. I think with the declaration of Arbroath, it's like the time that Scotland became like a nation, I believe. Yeah. And that was, yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. Do you see um, like the spoken word as an integral part of this project too, the sort of like vocalization of language? This is the first time we've talked <laughs> like <laughs> out loud about the project. Like, I mean, not Yasmin and I, but like publicly, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the second mix, there was a lot of like storytelling involved in the mood of this mix. You know, it starts with um, Shamlu, who is a poet. And it's so I think a lot of the symbolism in the second mix was around, you know, this haunted doll vibe and also like storytelling was a big part of it. And these like, yeah, the threads of un the symbols made a lot of sense like it was chaotic and then it ended up making so much sense as a whole so that's kind yeah, of I feel like that sense of like I guess um something I always appreciate just kind of being a poet and also being a reader um and maybe this is something um that I got into through Gloria Anzaldua, um, who wrote that book, Borderlands La Frontera, like she writes this book um, in English and Spanish. And when I read it, you know, um, I, I couldn't read what she was writing in Spanish. I was just kind of like walled out. And I really liked that because she was sort of talking about borders. Um, and I love the idea of like borders in general, like my family, like on both sides is like, uh, you know, like descended from the borders of Scotland and England. Um, and I feel like that kind of um, one of the things that we were sort of thinking about with these mixes and especially like with the second one, like it opens and closes with poetry, um, but you know, that begins with Ahmad Shamlu and it's sort of like he's, uh, there's no English translation like included in, in that, um, you know, like auditorily or as text, um, you know, that we included, it's, he's reading a Farsi. So me not being able or not being a speaker, um, I was walled out by that. You know, I read a translation of it, but I kind of like that because it's also, you know, like at the end, we included this poem by Sorley McLean and there's a, a recording of him reading in Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic, um, which is very political to him uh, because it's a, a language that's being lost um, and it has this whole history of kind of colonialism attached to that loss. Um, but he's not just, you know, certainly McLean, not just interested in like the loss of his language. He sort of is interested in the loss of any language and sort of what this means. And then there's an English translation of part of it at the end. Hmm. Um, but I feel like to hear both of these poets read in their own language. Um, to me, I just think with Gallic poetry and with, uh, with Farsi, it's like, there's, you know, obviously like, I, I actually, I can't understand either. So listening to the sounds, um, I'm, I can hear this similar kind of approach to rhythm to sound in poetry that is really specific. And I don't hear when I maybe say listening to uh, you know, like other languages maybe that I'm not 
a speaker of. Um, but I think like that idea of like, maybe like being let in a little, maybe being walled out and also maybe being, um, you know, like it's, it's important to sort of preserve the magic of like original language, mm -hmm. like in translation, something is always lost, but um, because there's so much uh, sort of loss and exile that has happened both kind of in Scotland and in Iran um, to sort of like include or think about like spoken word um, and spoken language seems important. Mm. Yeah, and this idea of like the the haunted doll is uh, captivating me in the moment too, because um, it kind of like gets gets you thinking about how the iconography of myths are sort of like haunted dolls, and they're these compound structures that once you start to interrogate the makeup of this myth of something like the idea of like Baphomet, and you have like the famous drawing by. Uh, Eliphas Levy um but if you start to sort of like interrogate the history of that um iconography of mythology there's like a whole um like cultural exchange that can be excavated there uh have you encountered the Baphomet mythology in your research at all no but mm. I mean I maybe yeah. maybe yes you know has I personally have not directly no but it's like I can yeah. yeah, I only ask because it's like um, it's a large part of like the Templar story. For and, sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's like I mean, it's, it's crazy, too, because the sort of goat headed God, um, I mean, that is a figure who appears so much in Scottish kind of folkloric witchcraft, mm. um, the, the witch's devil, um, you know, Cornish as well is called like the old one. Um, France. So there's this kind of thread running through there of this um, sort of like man goat vibe and this connection with the witchcraft. Um, also, you know, it's kind of a crazy, I mean, I, I don't, I love this word re religionistic. It's like something that Jung gets kind of accused <laughs> of a lot where there's yeah. a sort of like equating of different myths. So I'm not trying to do that for sure. But um, the sense, I think I saw or read that the oldest ever image depiction of a god was of a horned god in the cave of the three brothers in yeah. France. It's a really right. silly image. It's so funny looking. Um, it's like comedic and also amazing and beautiful. Um, but certainly it seems like that god has been god or gods like that that sort of archetype has been moving around place to place for a while definitely yeah yeah um something that came to mind for me when you guys were uh talking about the project was i feel like there's all these all this border stuff so i guess like obviously hermes and mercury and all of the various uh you know analogs of that figure feels like it might have something to do with the, the project. I don't know. I would say we're both pretty mercurial people. <laughs> it's been confirmed. Yeah. It's confirmed. Um, yeah, this is kind of left field, but I wonder if, um, do you, is because I know in, in Celtic lore, there's a lot to do with like the severed head. Is that, have you found anything about that in the, in the sort of connections you're making. It's been a personal uh, mythological interest of mine for the last few weeks. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, if anything like that came up. Interesting. Nothing's come up directly, but I mean, it's a big part of a lot of Shahnama tales, which is not really direct, direct, you know, directly to this research, but I'm obsessed with the Shahnama and it's depicted in that and those stories a few times. I just would have to kind of pull it out. I haven't yeah. paid yeah, direct attention to it, but that's interesting that you brought it up. What What are some of like the um, mythological connections that have, have made themselves more prominent within this, uh, within this story? 
Um, do you mean uh, the the Arthurian or? Yeah, or sort of any of it. You know, I'm just I'm just curious. Um, I just think that's that's really interesting. Um, sort of unpacking uh, different mythologies and you know the similarities yeah. between. I think women as warriors has been one that's jumped out with respect mm -hmm. to like because we're so you know fascinated initially by this Arthurian kind of this thesis <laughs> and the Scythians so I think yeah women as warriors is one that keeps coming up mm -hmm. um and then like the serpent imagery and the themes around mm -hmm. that and then once again attached associated to Lady of the Lake um who's also known as the White Serpent and other myths mm -hmm. So the connection between women and snakes for me has been really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also, you know, like yeah, we're saying like the image of the sword and the stone is like the most kind of iconic part of that. And um, it appears first in, in an art saga with Batraz um, and the Scythian. I mean, the whole way that you see the um, depiction of the, the Knights of the Round Table their armor, um, their swords, uh, all of their dress, and their horse, their horseback, even like riding. Um, these are all things that were, you know, like horseback kind of uh, battle, I guess, for like, <laughs> like military, like horses were not really a thing um, until I forget exactly when folks started doing that but I remember that it was in Iran um people were not fighting on horseback um prior to and so like when you see even just you know the clothing um and the whole way in which they're styled it is um pretty much like tit for tat this Scythian dress um also yeah like the the Scythians would always um basically not pull a sword out of the stone, um, but actually put it in. Um, and that is sort of a reversal of one of the images that occurs. Um, but outside of the Arthurian thing, you know, kind of like reading these poems, reading these, uh, or, or listening to folk music um, from any of these places. I think one of the things that I really feel comes up again and again is this really intense sense of loss um, and this sort of, it's like a, a really particular flavor of loss that I just feel like is kind of like comes up in the ballads and comes up in um, some of the folk music that um, Yasmina shared with me. Yeah, it's uh, a big theme. <laughs> loss and displacement. I mean, for me, even now, I'm technically in exile. I mean, not dramatically. I mean, I can go back, but, you know, it feels like that to be completely separated from your the place you love and your family and not being able to be with them every day. And that's like a recurring theme, I think, in this lifetime for me and all my lifetimes. And it's like, you know, and all of my, the ancestral work and the, you know, the dreams, it's always you know, a tribe that I'm, that is like on fire and I'm like, kind of like watching it all burn down. And it's, it's a recurring thing for me, this kind of displacement. So it really, yeah, this project is a huge part of that. Um, and that's why I think both of our different interpretations of it really resonates together. I don't know why, but it works. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. I feel like it's a really important project to, um, kind of what we mentioned in the beginning about like how much the, this sort of like excavation of cultural exchange, I feel like is, is uh, a large part of the history of conspiracy culture. And, and it's kind of like a battleground for people's pattern recognition where you get the whole like ancient aliens effect and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so to sort of like, you know, uh, genuinely tell this story, um, but also channeling it into, you know, these poetic sort of, um, uh, you know, works and stuff, I think is really cool uh, and important. Hmm. Sorry. Well, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Like, no, yeah. Thank you. Um, Just not a question. Yeah, there's like this kind of, <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. We're flattered. Um, yeah, I feel like that's kind of like one of the things that, um, I don't know, like I, 
I'm totally just recently really obsessed with that poet Sorley McLean's work. Um, he's from the island, uh, one of the islands um, from a place called Raze. Um, and he basically kind of grew up um, after the Highland clearances. And he was like a leftist, like hardcore. Most of the Scottish like national poets and writers are like hardcore leftists. Um, which is really interesting considering like, you know, this was pre like, I mean, it was, a, it was before like leftism was maybe quite so popular as it is now. So um, like there's a sense of the way um, in which kind of the people in the highlands and islands um, were kicked off their land and um, you know, beaten and terribly punished for use of their own language to the point where um, Gaelic is so in decline now that it's not even really, you know, like in Ireland, they've been able to salvage some of the remnants of the Irish language, which is really similar to Scottish Gaelic, um, because they were able to uh, sort of, um, I guess, disengage or, or get away from, I mean, not obviously like not all of Ireland, um, but, you know, they were able to become their own nation and um, kind of cut off their colonizer being England. Um, but with Scotland, it's like there's this terrible loss of culture and language and this terrible sense of exile. Um, the lands were given to either like Englishmen or like wealthy, like lowlanders. Um, and I don't know. I, I was watching this documentary short, it's called Sorley McLean's Island. It's online for free, it's really beautiful. Um, but he kind of just talks about this sort of loss and exile um, and how like these grand mismanagements of a country, of a government, um, essentially like he says something like, I mean, he says, he, he indicts a lot of things um, a lot of factors into how this has happened, this loss of language, this exploitation, um, impoverishment. Um, but he says like our children are bred for immigration. And like, you know, one of the things that I think, I don't know, there's so much that I think is like compelling to me about this collaboration um, with Yasmina because um, I think this is like a, I mean, like, this is the story of immigration, like, um, an exile, like, it's, it's different for every kind of group of immigrants, but there is this sort of thread of, like, why people leave the place they're from, or why people have to or forced to leave um, the place that they're from, the place of that those, uh, this, all the stories in their heart are from, you know, um, and Yasmina said something to me recently as well about because um, she had just seen um, Chess of the Wind and she said like, um, yeah, all of our stories are unfinished. And I feel like that's something that is a really like, it's, I mean, it's, these are specific things and I don't want to equate um, things too much. Like not all stories are the same, but I think that there's commonality in so many, um, so many this is like a global story as well, like the story of loss, exile, kind of um, of having to leave a place because it's been so, um, it's become a, such an impressive environment for various factors. Um, and I don't know, this sort of like feeling of, of the unfinished narrative is like very, yeah, sort of like what's, what is haunting, I guess. Um, and then exactly. on the other hand, I think there's like a beautiful sense of like, I mean, even just to imagine this, like to think, wow, what if the West is so influenced by Iran that like all of the stories that are deep in our unconscious um, resonate? Like that's kind of a radical thought when you think about like US or like English um, or just kind of like Western uh relations with Iran and with the wider part of the world um you know it's it's pretty radical in, in a way what were you going to say I'm sorry no I just agree with you and I think it's interesting that we came to this 
through magic <laughs> and through our dreams. And it's kind of very comforting um, once you acknowledge this interconnectedness. You don't really feel like you're in exile as much, you know? And um, you know, there's still a pain and you're still kind of working through it. And I mean, all the poet, poets that I'm you know, currently reading and that I share with you are all 60s leftist Iranian poets too, which is really interesting. And like a bunch of them mm -hmm. were killed by the regime, um, the Shah's regime. But yeah, so there's some, yeah. It's, it's very haunted for sure, <laughs> but comforting. <laughs> it's not it's haunted, yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> it's good haunted. Are you sort of keeping an archive of this work and the, the exchange that you two personally have? Mm, good question. God, maybe we should. We want, I really want to be more of a visual. I'm, I've been drawn to like visually explore these things that we're talking about as, you know, cause we're, we have some writings and we are working on the translation book project, but I really want to do more of a visual um, collaboration as well. And I want to, yeah, I want to start recording some of our conversations and some of these kind of negotiations and the, like the ways in which our thoughts are flowing because they end up making a lot of sense and I want to capture it, but we haven't yet really. I think we also really want to like start interviewing people like, yeah. but just super like, I feel like Yasmina had this idea of, um, I had been taking uh, like bagpipe lessons um, with this crew of like, oh my God, Dave, you would think it was so funny. They're like these Jersey dudes. They've <laughs> like, they literally meet them like the setting of the Italian American club in the Sopranos is actually the Scots American club in Kearney, New Jersey, right. which yeah, is yeah. where they, and they're all like, Hey, Lassie, what's up? <laughs> like, but um, it's so funny. They're like, and there's some Italian, like Newark dudes in the band really weirdly. Um, it's like mostly like these, like, uh, like Scottish descent, like Jersey guys. But um we just kind of like I was like damn like yeah I feel like Yasmina had this idea of of doing some kind of interview with them and like I just feel like we could take it in so many places because I think also like the idea of uh diaspora and how like crazy that can be um <laughs> is really compelling like even you know Dave you're in Philly like Kensington is like this crazy like Irish like American hub but it's like also one of the most cursed and sad places of all time um and it's interesting because that connects to this as well you know like the story of ireland um famine mass uh mass immigration for these sort of emergency reasons um i don't know like love to kind of like either do some field recording or interviews or something do you guys have any plans for um sort of the next uh the next steps of this project um yeah i think we're just gonna be working on this book and kind of putting together some more of the mixes in this series um but i'm gonna be going to scotland in january and um doing some research uh in some ballad libraries there um and hopefully kind of like trying to connect some dots with that um because i feel like that's kind of something you know and i think yasmina you're hoping to to go to iran soon ish yeah i hope in the next in the new year for sure mm. um yeah so we're gonna be kind of doing some independent research like on site hopefully <laughs> that's amazing that's awesome yeah that's great that yeah the collaboration will go back to sort of the, the nodes from which it started yeah yeah i mean also like long-term dream like wow how crazy would it be to go to Ossetia to north Ossetia? that's like i'm obsessed with that idea and just kind mm -hmm. of like because it's um you have to get a permission or like you would have to get a visa or permission to actually go yeah yeah um uh, yeah i have a friend who's trying he's wow. currently on right now and it's something he's always wanted to do but Amazing. it's a process apparently but it's possible yeah yeah it's like even or even just georgia like because there's that kind of interesting similar polyphonic 
music thing there, but it seems like there are so many, um, I don't know. It's also like the deeper that we get into this, the more that these sort of um, chants or rare kind of like ethnographic recordings um, from like ballad collectors become so important. Um, you know, like there's this song uh, that Flora McNeil, who is like a Gaelic singer, sings um, Alan Duin, and it's like um, dark haired Alan. And when you think of like, Alania, the Allens, um, the Iranians, it's like really interesting to think about that. Um, but yeah, it's almost like these sort of, sometimes it seems like these musical records are like some of the few kind of ways in which these stories remain. And like, so far off dreams, maybe like traveling and recording some music in different places would be really cool. Mm. Wow, that'd be really exciting, yeah. Well, um, um, yeah, I think that was a really great conversation. Um, thanks so much for coming on. I, th I think that, um, yeah, it's really cool to see like a collaboration like this, like in progress. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, it's cool because it's it's just like the beginnings, kind of too, of this ongoing project. So, um, I think that's really exciting, and and it's almost like you're kind of continuing to talk it out you know on on our show today um yeah which is uh, which is totally, really awesome. totally yeah yeah it was the first time we've ever articulated it to uh, to others you know um in this way so it's nice the the potential is, yeah, I is think so exciting well, too yeah i feel like we're we're both super into like changing with the process um rather than kind of like setting a course so Things may change at will. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So um, is there any sort of, like what would the terminal be for people to experience this project at this point? Yeah. Um, well, I can send you some links to like the archive like shows so far. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to keep kind of doing that series. Um, and kind of like branch out more in the next few months and we share little bits of our research as we do them um on our instagram page uh we don't have a website or anything yet so that's kind of where um we congregate and meet and discuss with other people and share what yeah share what we found um yeah care to cool. care to drop the handle yeah i guess i will <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, it's at uh, Gohar X Grail. Yes. Yeah, check it out and check out the mix too. The mix is really <laughs> incredible. I was listening to it, you know, earlier today for uh, just driving around Philadelphia. So um, amazing. Yeah, it's it's really incredible and it's beautiful. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys again for having us. <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah. so much for coming on, and and we hope to. Um, you know, follow the project and, and see what comes next. Thank you. Have a lovely night. Thank okay. you. You too. Talk soon. Bye. Happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bye. Bye.